This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, December 1st. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, Rick Gomez sworn in to Mountain Village Town Council. State and county wary of tax increases. Eyes to ears with Bella Eatman. And a mountain weather forecast. Mountain Village swore in its newest town council member on Thursday. Waska Rick Gomez took the oath of office at a special meeting. I, Waska E. Gomez, Rick, do hereby swear or affirm that I will support the Constitution of the United States, the Constitution and laws of the state of Colorado, and the town charter of the town of Mountain Village, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will be faithfully and impartially discharge the duties of the office of council member of the town of Mountain Village, Colorado, to the best of my ability. So help me God, or I do so affirm. Gomez was selected to fill a seat left vacant by former council member Patrick Barry. He will serve on town council for the remainder of Barry's term until July 2025. Gomez says he's humbled to fill the position. I feel blessed and fortunate to be sitting up here uh, and to be part of this beautiful community. So I'm excited and scared simultaneously. Uh, but uh, I can, you can count on this. I'll give it my all. And I will always try to make decisions that benefit our town as a whole. Mountain Village Mayor Marty Prohaska shares her gratitude for Gomez stepping into the role. I do um, just want to welcome Rick. It really is a important, you know, thing to take the time to sit up here. It is a lot of time. It's a lot of work. And um, often it feels hard as we might see, but um, it, all, it at the end of the day is really rewarding and um, I'm really grateful that we have people that are willing to step up and, um, and here you are, filling out finally our, our seven member board. Gomez joins Prohaska and council members Scott Pearson, Jack Gilbride, Peter Dupre, Harvey Mogensen and Tucker Magid to round out Mountain Village's town council. The issue of property tax increases in Colorado has been a long-simmering concern in 2023. Back in the spring, the latest property value assessments were released, and many residents of San Miguel County saw dramatic increases. County Commissioner Ann Brown says she and her fellow commissioners noted the changes immediately. I mean, we were all um, kind of concerned when we opened up our personal tax bills and um, when we heard how much our assessed values had increased um, as a whole, particularly on the east end of the county, and started hearing from constituents that they were really concerned about um, what they were afraid were kind of going to be skyrocketing property taxes and and thought to ourselves, you know, how can we provide some tax relief? The county collects taxes from its property owners, but it's not in charge of all that money. Much of it, the county distributes to different taxing entities, such as school districts, libraries, fire districts, and so on. There are 25 such taxing entities in San Miguel County, 
all of which set their own budgets and decide how much of their allotted taxes to collect. At the county, Brown continues, Recognizing that we could only provide so much tax relief ourselves as one of 25 taxing entities, we decided to kind of let the rest of the of the boards who set these budgets and mill levies and so forth um, know that this could really have an impact on residents. So we chose to write a letter to those taxing entities. The letter, sent last month, asked those 25 districts to limit their collections to a 20% increase over last year's levels. Still a spike for property owners to absorb, but significantly less than the 33% increase, which the districts could, on average, collect. So, for example, while San Miguel County as a taxing district would be, quote-unquote, entitled to a 33.4% increase in revenues, the commissioners directed staff to take no more than a 20% increase. Governor Jared Polis seems to have flagged the same concerns as our county commissioners. Polis sent a letter this week to all taxing districts in the state, asking they limit their collections similarly. How are taxing districts responding to these calls for financial prudence? Many are in the midst of their budgeting processes, and when asked if they would limit their collections, the answer remains unclear. The Telluride School District, for its part, operates on a different schedule and will thus budget in the spring. However, the district reports it's aware of the issue and will make an effort to limit its collections in 2024 and 2025. Additionally, Brown points out that area voters remain eager to fund services. Multiple tax districts successfully passed increases on this year's ballot. And we've seen on the east end of the county that voters are willing to increase um, our tax burden for the services that they are interested in, whether it be the schools or the hospital district or the fire district. Still, like much of Colorado, Telluride is facing inflation, a housing crunch, and a high cost of living, which leaves many residents feeling the pressure, says Brown. And we don't want you know, this year's property taxes to be the tipping point you know, at which they, they need to leave our community because they're beloved friends and neighbors. State legislation anticipated in 2024 is likely to continue the conversation around Colorado's cost of living and its property tax structure in particular. Eyes to Ears is driven by a passion for art, not just on the canvas, but also behind the mic. This week, we're flipping the script. KOTO News spoke with Telluride High School's Bella Eatman about her new artistic adventure. Have a listen. Bella, today we are flipping the script. I will be interviewing you about a new job that you are doing, a new opportunity that you're taking part of at the AHA School for the Arts. Can you share a little bit what you're doing? Well, the opportunity that I have been given for this job is that I go to AHA every Tuesday to draw demos for uh, for the the classes for the younger students, like elementary to possibly intermediate school students. And I just basically draw what uh, what could be the example of what they're trying to learn how to uh, how to draw, because 
because some uh, some of that high school representation I've heard sounds uh, sounds like uh, something that would interest uh, the younger generations. What um what kind of things when you think about like the types of drawings that you're going to demo for them to be able to replicate or take inspiration from? What are some of the things that you want to be sharing with them? I honestly don't really know what I'm going to be drawing for these kids, nor do I know if they'll even see, see that I'm the one who draws them. They're just going to see a name and a grade of where and of where I am in in Telluride High School. What made you interested in getting a job at the AHA or um, working in this way with some of the younger students? Honestly, it was just the what I thought was the best choice. I have heard from uh, from some of my family members that I am good with other kids. I'm not one to agree, but I am one to try and see for myself if that is in fact the case. So if I can in fact draw for these kids and help them learn to achieve what what they can do, I hope that uh, I just hope that I can do a good job at that. You have gotten to interview a number of artists and one of the things that you often ask is, you know, as their younger selves, if they knew that they were getting to work in art now as an adult, how would they feel about that as like a younger self? So for you now, having a job working in art yourself, how do you think your younger self, young Bella, would um, would think about what you're doing now? Well, younger me wasn't really thinking about what a what careers I could do. Younger me wasn't thinking about anything future-wise, just thinking about what what they were going to do in the next 5 minutes and so on and so forth. I think they'd they'd be happy at the idea of me just drawing for uh, for whatever reason. If I can do that freely, then I am happy to do that. Maybe outside of the work that you're doing with the AHA specifically, but you've had um, several days off, maybe you've gotten some time to, to do some art in that time. Is there anything that has been really inspiring to you or anything that you've really been loving to draw recently? As of recently, I've been working on drawing a comic. This comic will not be published, nor will it be seen by many other than my friends. But I have been real impressed with the work that I've been doing concerning the fact that this comic has extended to 12 to 14 pages when most others have only reached, I don't know, two to five, probably. I'm very happy with the amount of progress I have made. And I guess I want to keep that going for as long as I possibly can. Yeah, well, I'm just going to put a plug in that I would love to hear an eyes to ears with Bella Eatman discussing that comic. I think our listeners would love to hear about it. Um, Bella, thank you so much for taking a couple minutes, flipping the script, letting me interview you this week, and congratulations on your new job. Thank you. I'm very excited as to what this and where this could take me.
get your bikes out of the Oak Street Gondola Plaza. The town of Telluride in Mountain Village will be impounding any abandoned bicycles left in the plaza next week. Registered bikes will be returned to the owner if possible. Bikes remaining at the end of the winter season will be donated. Abandoned bikes will be impounded on Wednesday, December 6. Those with questions can contact marketing at mtnvillage.org. The rhythms of West African drumming and dance are returning to the Wilkinson Public Library next week with a drum circle led by the Montrose-based musician and teacher Etienne Tolno. Hailing originally from Ghana, Tolno leads drum circles across the Western Slope with frequent stops here in Telluride. He'll be setting up in the library program room on Monday, December 4th at 5.30 p.m. Drum circles are a shared space for laughter, connection, and participation. All ages are welcome, and no prior experience is necessary. Register at TellurideLibrary.org. With the arrival of December comes the beginning of Colorado's hunting season for mountain lions. Colorado Parks and Wildlife monitors populations of the state's lions, Canada lynx, and bobcats, and releases licenses based on those numbers. Last year, hunters harvested roughly 500 lions in Colorado. This year, CPW is capping the harvest at 674 lions. But the practice is controversial. Over the last few years, opponents of lion hunting have worked to ban it and have gathered enough signatures to place a ballot measure before voters in 2024, asking to end the state's lion hunt. This week, hunters countered, requesting the state Supreme Court intervene and block the ballot question, claiming the language is misleading. Part of the issue is the practice of trophy hunting, in which animals are killed for preservation and display. Many hunters say they're open to reforms which would prevent trophy hunting, but claim an outright ban is excessive. They say management decisions should be led by state wildlife biologists rather than the general public. The fate of a potential ballot measure and the state's lion hunt now rests with the court and perhaps with voters in 2024. A new report from federal climate researchers calls for changes in the way we study and respond to drought. KUNC's Alex Hager has the details. As the climate changes, so does the probability of extreme events like drought. That's usually defined as a period of abnormally dry weather. But this report says it's getting harder to say what's normal. The study captures the ideas of more than 100 climate experts who say we need to identify the differences between temporary droughts and long-term trends. That could mean permanently resetting the baseline for how much water we expect to fall in a given region each year. The report's authors say that could improve our ability to respond and adapt to the dry times. That's important since large drought events have cost the nation an estimated $170 billion over the past two decades. I'm Alex Hager. Students at Aspen High School recently organized Aspen Hope Week, for five days, kids and teachers raised awareness about a new club aimed at preventing suicide among teens. It's a model that's being used around the country. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Hallie Zander has the story. 
It's a busy morning in the Aspen High School cafeteria, and a group of students with the school's Hope Squad are huddled around a long table with hundreds of donuts. They've been organizing a series of events for Aspen Hope Week to raise awareness about their club. So today is kind of like the donut quit day, or like the donut, like be afraid to ask for help. And so we're passing out donuts. We have 600 donuts, which is crazy. That's Audrey Woodrow, one of the members of the Hope Squad, which trains students to help their classmates dealing with mental health crises. I think mental health is very stigmatized here. I mean, I think it is everywhere and it's okay for you to struggle. I think everyone struggles with mental health in one way or another. The Hope Squad at Aspen High started two years ago, and it's part of a network of Hope Squads across the country. The program began in Utah with a peer-to-peer -peer model. School administrators had documented cases where students with suicidal ideation confided in their peers before connecting with adults. So they surveyed kids about which of their classmates were kind and easy to talk to. And those students were invited to be a part of the Hope Squad and trained to intervene when their peers showed some of the warning signs of suicide. Aspen has the same model. And it's just nice to know that like we're people that are friends or like people we know in the school like think of when they think of someone who can help them. Woodrow says she's been trained to look out for people who might be struggling, who are sitting alone or otherwise might need someone to talk to. Because according to CDC data, Colorado teens struggle with suicide at above average rates. The state has the fifth highest suicide mortality rate in the country among 15 to 19 year olds. So Woodrow's biggest responsibility is knowing when to contact a teacher for help. Because we're not asking these kids to be psychologists. That's Josh Barrow, a counselor at Aspen High School. He helped start the Hope Squad in 2022 and says the biggest goal is to help identify which kids need support. The main point is to get these kids to come to an adult because the adults are the professionals who can help with suicide, detection, ideation, those kinds of things. We just want the kids to be a bridge. So by putting more tools in the students' hands, Barrow says they can reach more kids who are at risk. Caleb Seward is a senior at Aspen High and a member of the Hope Squad. I see a lot of people closing themselves off, isolating themselves, or maybe just not being the person that they want to be. He says growing up in a resort town like Aspen can present unique challenges, and he watches his friends struggling often. I've seen some of my peers and I see how some of them live and it's not necessarily the greatest. It's sad to see from my point of view. As a counselor, Barrow sees firsthand how the paradise paradox manifests, how growing up full time in a vacation town isn't always glamorous. There's so much wealth, but there's also poverty. The seasonal depression that happens, the transient nature of the town, of people moving in, people moving out, and I think that kids really struggle with that. So for Barrow, the Hope Squad is a new strategy to mobilize kids and strive for a healthier community. But so far, it hasn't resulted in any referrals, and he's not convinced it's going to work. This could turn out to be a royal disaster. This could, I'm serious, this could turn out, this could end up being phased out. It could be a total failure. While research shows peer-to-peer -peer models can help kids who don't have access to traditional mental health care, more needs to be done to know how effective it is. And some students are skeptical, telling Barrow that the Hope Squad kids are just joining the club to put something on their resumes. But Barrow says the problem is too big to ignore, that they have to try something. We just have to. That's just the way it works. And if, it, you know, if it's not good and it doesn't work, then okay, we'll try something new. So the donuts have run out and Aspen Hope Week is over.
But Woodrow, Seward, and the rest of the 30-member Hope Squad will continue to walk the halls, go to classes, and let students know that struggling with mental health is common, that they've got friends to talk to, and ultimately, they're not alone. For Aspen Public Radio News, I'm Hallie Zander. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for snow tonight with accumulation of 2 to 4 inches possible and a low near 10 degrees. Saturday sees a chance of snow continue with a high near 20 degrees. Saturday night brings a 40% chance of snow with a low around 30. Snow is likely to taper off on Sunday, leaving cloudy skies in the afternoon and a high near 30, followed by a cloudy night with a low near 20 degrees. This has been the news for Friday, December 1st. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.